0: to another episode of Sleep and Relax ASMR. Today's episode, we are looking at, or I guess discussing, some of the worst inventions of all time, at least according to a Time Magazine article I <laughs> posted in 2008. <laughs> I'm not sure where I find <laughs> half of these links or resources, but... I thought it'd be kind of funny just to kind of see, you know, around that time, what Time Magazine thought were some of the worst inventions ever. Um, You know, I sort of compiled some information about some of the products and inventions, you know, throughout the episode, so not every single item are we going to be doing a deep dive into Provide my my thought, my analysis as to whether, in fact, they are some of the worst inventions ever. And, of course, I suppose my opinion is the barometer of truth here. Hold well, on, get a little sip of coffee. i still trying that uh, Four Sigmatic Mushroom Coffee. It's been excellent. Highly recommend at this point. Alright, well, with that in mind, let's just jump into it. So, Worst Inventions, according to, again, a random Time Magazine article around 2008-2010. And the first one is the Segway. The Segway is a two-wheeled, self-balancing personal transporter invented by Dean Kamen and brought to market in 2001 as the Segway HT, subsequently as the Segway PT, and manufactured by Segway Inc. HT is an initialism for Human Transporter, and PT stands for Personal Transporter. Ninebot, a Beijing-based transportation robotics startup rival, acquired Segway Inc. in April 2015, brought in the company to include other transportation devices, and announced in June 2020 it would no longer make a two-wheeled self-balancing product. The Segway PT, referred to during development and initial marketing as the Segway HT, was developed from the self-balancing iBot Wheelchair, which was initially developed at University of Plymouth in conjunction with BAE Systems and Sumitomo Precision Products. Segway's first patent was filed in 1994, and granted in 1997, followed by others, including one submitted in June 1999, and granted in October 2001. Prior to its introduction, a news report about a proposal for a book about the invention, development, and financing of the Segway led to speculation about the device and its importance. John Doerr speculated that it would be more important than the internet. South Park devoted an episode to making fun of the hype before the product was released. Steve Jobs was quoted as saying that it was, quote, as big a deal as the PC, end quote. He later expressed a negative opinion saying that it sucked, presumably referring to the design. The device was unveiled on December third, two 2001, following months of public speculation in Bryant Park, New York City, on Good Morning America. Uh, Let's see here. The original Segway model featured three speed settings, 6 miles per hour, 8 miles per hour, and 10 miles per hour. Steering of early versions was controlled using a twist grip that varied the speeds of the two motors. In August 2006, Segway discontinued all previous models and introduced the i2 and X2 products, both of which I believe are BMW model names, which was steered by leaning the handlebars to the left or right and with a maximum speed of 12.5 miles per hour. Recharging took 8 to 10 hours, apparently, for these new models. Uh, let's see here. The company was acquired by British businessman Jimmy Hasselden from U.S. inventor Dean Kamen in 2009. A year later, in ironic and unfortunate accident, Hasselden passed away after he plunged into the river Wharf while riding a rugged country version of the Segway. So apparently the gentleman who purchased the Segway, or the company and the assets of Segway, passed away. I guess on the segue let's see here let's see here what more what more can i tell you about segway so that you can be bored to tears and leave you with no other option but to fall asleep i'm gonna take a little sip of coffee I guess we'll just skip forward to end of production. So in June 2020, Ninebot, the owner of Segway brand, announced that it would no longer make themselves make the namesake two-wheeled self-balancing product. Only 140,000 units were sold during the lifetime of the product, and in the later years of Segway PT only made up 1.5 percent of total company profits. Mm -hmm. You know, to be honest, I remember around the time that uh, Segway was getting all this hype and, you know, I was, I don't know, I guess, you know, I guess a kid, you know, kid, teenager, someone that range, and I remember thinking how silly they looked. But I think the idea is a good one. I think in particular, like, the fact that you see, like, mall cops use them, I think is the exact kind of um, use case, you know. Do I think it's really the worst invention of all time, or one of them? Not really. I think you can see a clear use case for them. I suppose if you sort of compare the the hype of the subway, the fact that, you know, apparently it was supposed to rival the internet as being one of the most fundamentally important inventions of all time, then yes, it falls way short. It is absolutely awful, but you can see, again, mall cops, I understand why they use them. I think even cops, if they're like patrolling a certain like urban or excuse me, suburban area, you can see the use for them, Um, you know, you can see what they're useful for. Maybe, yeah, it was just a matter of not the right place and not the right time. But, again, I think you can see the the use case for Segway. I think for me to consider, for me personally, me personally, just my opinion. For me to personally think an invention is one of the worst of all times, I think I need to, it needs to be a product that just has absolutely no use whatsoever. You know? just my standards it needs to be something that was invented it's like why did you spend the time the money the resources and the marketing to release a product that has such low or no utility that that for me is a worst invention but whatever let's continue on and next we're touching on new coke new coke was the unofficial name of a reformulation of the soft drink coca-cola introduced by the coca-cola company in april 1985 it was renamed coke 2 in 1990 and discontinued in july 2002 now i remember new coke but i guess what is shocking to me is how new coke survived 12 years The fact that it was in production for 12 years is... You know, I think all of us have heard about New Coke and how it was a, you know, bad decision by by Coke, but to take 12 years to make the decision, I think, is pretty amazing. By 1985, Coca-Cola had been losing market share to diet soft drinks and non-cola beverages for several years, blind taste tests suggesting that consumers prefer the sweeter taste of the competing product Pepsi, and so the Coca-Cola recipe was reformulated. The American public reacted negatively, and new Coke was considered a major failure. The company reintroduced the original Coke formula within three months, rebranding Coca-Cola Classic, resulting in a significant sales boost. This led to speculation that the New Coke formula was a ploy to stimulate sales of the original Coca-Cola, which the company has denied. The story of New Coke remains influential as a cautionary tale against tampering with an established, successful brand. Which I think is very spot on, right? I think they just overthought that one. Because ultimately, you have a successful brand, you have a successful product, you're just deciding that because you're losing some market share because of new competition, yeah, you have to change everything. So, I will agree that that is one of the worst inventions of all time. Up next, we have Clippy. (laughs) The Office Assistant is a discontinued intelligent user interface for Microsoft Office that assisted users by way of an interacted animated character, which interfaced with the Office help content. It was included in Microsoft Office for Windows versions 97 to 2003, Microsoft Publisher and Project versions 98 to 2003, Microsoft Front Page versions 2002 and 2003, and Microsoft Office for Mac versions 98 to 2004. The default assistant in the English version was named Clippy, Clippit, excuse me, commonly nicknamed Clippy, after a paperclip. The character was designed by Kevin J. Adelberry, Clippet was the default and by far the most notable assistant, partly because in many cases the setup CD was required to install the other assistants. The feature drew a strongly negative response from many users. Microsoft turned off the feature by default in Office XP, acknowledging its unpopularity in an ad campaign spoofing ClipIt. In July 2021, Microsoft used Twitter to show off a redesign of ClipIt, which they called Clippy in the tweet, and said it received 20,000 likes, that if if it received 20,000 likes, they would replace the paperclip emoji on Microsoft 365 with the character. The tweet quickly surpassed 20,000 likes, and they announced to replace it. Hmm. <sighs> Gotta be honest, I do not have negative memories of Clippy. I really don't. I don't uh, look back to those early 2000 versions of Microsoft and think that, um, you know, Clippy was... The worst part of the experience or uh, such a negative part of microsoft office now granted so around this time that i was using microsoft office and utilizing Clippy's services you know i was relatively young you know so maybe if you were an adult like in your 20s 30s 40s and plus in the late 90s early 2000s you know, maybe that's when Clippy was more obnoxious and uh, a bit more difficult to deal with. But again, to be frank, my experience with Clippy was not a negative one. I don't, I don't understand the hate for Clippy. Up next on the list, they put Agent Orange, and I didn't know what Agent Orange was. The first thing that came up was a DC comic supervillain, so I just figured we'd talk about it. I doubt they're talking about the DC comic um, character, but since that's what I found, I'll just read a bit about it. Larflees, yes, that is the name, Larflees, also known as Agent Orange, is a supervillain appearing in comics published by DC Comics, usually as an antagonist in books featuring Green Lantern and the Green Lantern Corpse. He is the primary wielder of the orange light of avarice, avarice, derived from the emotional spectrum of greed, and does not voluntarily allow others to wield the orange light. Hal Jordan refers to him at first as Gonzo, because of his resemblance to the Muppet of the same name. The character first appeared in DC Universe number zero, April two thousand eight, and was created by writer Jeff Johns and artist Ethan van cyber Let's talk about his origin. Because I always find this interesting. I always love like comic book character development. How the writers sort of envision the character, how it starts. I you know, I'm just a dork for that kind of stuff, so I think it's really cool. So origin, uh, Larfleeze, that's the name, L-A-R-F-L-E-E-Z-E, awful name. Larfleeze, also known as Agent Orange, is the first and for a long time the only individual to wield the power of the orange light. Little is known about his past except that he comes from an incredibly long-lived species as Larfleeze is said to be over several billion years old he was taken from his parents for reasons yet to be unveil, um, revealed excuse me and forced to work as a slave his time as a slave was cruel and harsh his cruel and sadistic masters starved larfleas, and his fellow slaves in order to weed out those too weak to work in the hellish conditions they were first to toil in the cruelty and deprivation of even the most basic rights and privileges deeply affected Flees, who at some point began to hear the material possessions in the society of the people whom he served begging him to own them. Don't really understand that. Hmm. Eventually, Larflees was able to escape and became a wanted criminal, along with several of his species. And that's obviously a huge part. So I'll get to the point where he yes, becomes Agent Orange. In Green Lantern, Volume 4, Issue Number 28, the controllers are shown discussing their previous failures in forming a force matching the Green Lantern corpse. They soon became interested in pursuing a comparable power source to the green light that they've discovered, the orange light. The controllers follow the orange light to Okara, where they descend into an underground palace and eventually come across the Orange Lantern Power battery deep inside. As soon as they try to take it, the controllers are overcome by Larfleeze's Orange Lanterns and are defeated. Larfleeze is enraged at the perceived violation of the agreement he has with the Guardians and is unable to see a distinction between them and the controllers. At the time, Green Lantern... Stel pursues a member of the Sinestro Corpse but is given pause when he crosses into the Vega system for Sanctuary sorry this is all over my head I like the idea of Green Lantern I'm just not well versed enough in the universe of Green Lantern to really know what like 90% of these characters are anyway there's a huge list here of you know um, just different storylines with Larflees and Agent Orange and again I'm 98% sure that Time Magazine is not saying that Agent Orange the DC comic supervillain is one of the worst inventions of all time but quite literally in the article that I'm referring to they simply name, like they list the items and they provide no context whatsoever. So it literally just lists Agent Orange as one of the worst inventions of all time, and of course you're kind of left like, okay, uh, I guess I'll just figure it out on my own. So let's move on. Let's uh, do a couple more here. The next item is Qcat. The Qcat is a cat-shaped handheld barcode reader that was given away free to internet users starting in 2000 by the now defunct Digital Convergence Corporation. An awful name for a company. (laughs) It's just so early internet boom name. Digital Convergence Corporation. I mean, if that doesn't sound like a DC comic, like supervillain group, I don't know what it is. We are the Digital Convergence Corporation. Anyway, the QCAT was named Q for the unique barcode which the device scanned and CAT as a play on keystroke automation technology. It enabled a user to open a link to an internet URL by scanning a barcode called a Q by Digital Convergence, appearing in an article or catalog or on some other printed matter. In this way, a user could be directed to a web page containing related information without having to enter a URL. The company asserted that the ability of the device to direct users to a specific URL rather than a domain name was valuable. In addition, television broadcasters could use an audio tone in programs or commercials that, if a TV was connected to a computer, via an audio cable acted as a web address shortcut. By year-end 2001, codes were no longer available for the device and scanning with the device no longer yielded results. However, third-party software can decide the lightweight encryption in the device, allowing it to be used as a general-purpose one-type barcode reader. The QCAT can read several common barcode types in addition to the proprietary Q barcodes. So I guess I understand the idea. And that's the thing, right? Like, if you were to think back to the year 2000, 2001, 2002, you know, the late 90s, again, the internet itself was so in its infancy that the premise of what the internet could be and what it could do so far from being established. So. I guess I can see the. The general premise. Right. I can, I can understand the idea of why you want. A sort of like free playful. Barcode reader. So that you know you could. You know instead of going to. You know catalog Uh, I'm just putting in random websites right like the everything store dot com slash ab dash one five seven uh dash qr dash so instead of having to type in all that you know you kind of just are able to jump to a very specific url without having to type it in I understand the premise again I, I think what they probably well obviously what they overestimated was the integration between the physical with the digital. I think they overestimated the user's willingness to sort of combine the two. And really, obviously, you know, the ease of the internet. And then soon after you had, you know, mobile phones take a huge leap. I mean, years later, obviously, but, but still, you know, so... Definitely one of the worst inventions of all time, but I can understand what they were going for. You know, they wanted to reduce one step, which was, rather than typing up, they wanted to reduce the friction between catalog to viewing online and buying online, I guess. I'm going to read a little more, because I'm interested. So, let's talk about the marketing for the QCAT. The QCAT patents are held by Jeffrey Filia, who changed his name to Jovan Hutten Pulitzer okay, after the failure of QCAT. Bello Corporation, parent company of the Dallas Morning News and owner of many TV stations, invested $37.5 million in digital convergence. Radio Shack invested $30 million. Uh, Coke invested $10 million. And other investors included General Electric and EW Scripps Company. So, QCAT raised $185 million. Each QCAT cost Radio Shack about $6.50 to manufacture. Starting in late 2000 and continuing for about a year, advertisements, special web editions, and editorial content containing QCAT barcodes appeared in many U.S. periodicals, including Parade Magazine, Forbes, and Wired. The Dallas Morning News and other bella owned newspapers added the barcodes next to major articles and regular features like stocks and weather. Wired Magazine mailed over 500,000 of the free devices as gifts to their subscribers. Forbes did the same, um, but to 830,000 subscribers. So... Again, I get the idea. I think again they they strongly overestimated I think like they're almost like a little too ahead of their time. You know. They they thought they could combine the digital with the physical world and I think away that in that time probably wasn't feasible. And obviously it's like if your main source of barcodes are coming from physical print magazines, you know, we all know how that's going these days. Even though I gotta say, there's something really nice for me, at least. To sort of, like, pick up something physical and read it. I just like the way that experience goes. But, that's be... Okay, we'll continue. Got a couple more. Next up, they put subprime mortgages. Whatever, don't want to talk about it. Then it's crinoline. I think that you say it, crinoline or crinoline. It is a stiff or structured petticoat designed to hold out a woman's skirt, popular at various times since the mid-19th century. By the, let's see here, by the 1850s, the term crinoline, or crinoline, not sure how to pronounce it, was more usually applied to the fashionable silhouette provided by horsehair petticoats and to the hoop skirts that replaced them in the mid-1850s. The steel-hooped cage crinoline, crinoline, first banded in April 1856 by R.C. Millet in Paris and by their agent in Britain a few months later, became extremely popular. Crinolines or crinolines were worn by women of every social standing and class across the Western world, from royalty to factory workers. This led to widespread media scrutiny and criticism particularly in satirical magazines such as Punch. They were also hazardous if worn without due care. Thousands of women died in the mid-19th century as a result of their hoop skirts catching fire. Goodness gracious. Definitely one of the worst inventions of all time. For me, frankly, the worst invention on this list so far. The idea of wearing something that would be quite literally a, a fire hazard is... As bad as it gets. Up next we have the Nintendo Virtual Boy. The Virtual Boy is a 32-bit tabletop portable video game console developed and manufactured by Nintendo. Released in 1995, it was marketed as the first console capable of displaying stereoscopic 3D graphics. This is a bad one. I never had the p- displeasure of playing a Virtual Boy, but um, if you've ever seen a video um, by, for example, the angry video game nerd, he did, um, I think, an excellent video on the Virtual Boy and why it was so bad. And what can you say? It's pretty, pretty bad. Moving along here. Last couple. We have Farmville, whatever. Don't want to talk about it. Hydrogenated oils, same thing. I think thanks was Honeygar. And I don't really know what honeygar is, or I did not know what it was, but this is what it says here. Honeygar is a mix of honey and apple cider vinegar, similar to switchel. Honey and vinegar mixtures, such as Oxymel have been used for purported health benefits since ancient times. The name honeygar was used by D.C. Jarvis in his book, Folk Medicine, A Vermont Doctor's Guide to Good Health. This is your criticisms. In 1960 copies of Jarvis' book Folk Medicine were seized by the FDA in connection with sales of Honeygar physician Louis, <laughs> Louis lasagna <laughs> I don't know if this is satirical at this point physician Louis lasagna noted that quote in Albany New York FDA agencies $60,000 worth of Honeygar a mixture of honey and apple cider vinegar because its labeling failed to bear adequate directions for treating nearly 50 diseases and conditions for which honeygar was intended to be used. I don't know. I mean, why would that be one of the worst inventions of all time? I don't know. I'm not as convinced that that's one of the absolute worst inventions of all time. You know, like, I mean, it's probably tasty. I mean, if you like that that kind of sweet and and bitter, vinegary taste at the same time, I can understand why maybe it's appealing. And it's just honey, and apple cider vinegar, and whatever. It's probably not bad. All right, there are a couple here. I think I'm just gonna do a little quick, quick fire. With some of the last ones on here, we have the baby cage, tanning beds, crocs. I don't think it was some of the worst. I mean, crocs are popular for a reason. I think that they're ugly as sin, but so, um, this will be the last one. The hula chair, very short and sweet. This is from time. One of the only ones that time actually listed the description. Is it an amusement park ride or a workout device? The hula chair attempts to create the ab workout sensation of using a hula hoop while sitting down. Giving your abs a workout while filing papers is a nice idea. But trying to focus while your lower half is throttling around like this is absurd and more to point, oddly erotic. Oh, and the chair cost upward of $250. So I doubt that the hula chair is still in development and production, but apparently, yeah. You could be sitting down and basically just have your hips gyrating while you're at the office. And that's it. Those are some of the wackiest and worst inventions of all time, according to a random Time Magazine article published like 20 years ago at this point. So, 10 years ago, 12 years, 13, 15, whatever we are. If you want to follow up, perhaps you want to discuss any of these items, you can Email me, hello, at sleepandrelaxasmr.com. You know, questions, comments, concerns can be directed there. That's all for this episode. Thanks as always for listening, and take care.